back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, there was a Christian comedian by the name of Ken Davis, and he put out some videos and he wrote some books and did a lot of uh, tours working with youth. And I was working with a youth group at that time. And uh, so uh, we showed some of his videos to our kids. But uh, I remember a story that he told, and uh, it was kind of interesting. He, uh, he was in a, a speech class, and uh, the instructor told them they each had to bring a project. And the project was that they had to do something that was creative, and they had to do something that made a point. And so he decided that what he was going to do was he was going to talk about the law of the pendulum. And uh, he explained uh, that the law of the pendulum uh, is defined in this way. A pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally it is at rest. This point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. And so Ken got up and he walked up to the chalkboard and he had a length of string and he took a tack and he stuck it in the ceiling above the middle of the chalkboard. And then he had on the string on the end, he, he had uh, tied a little kid's toy atop and he pulled it back and he marked with the chalk and he released it and it swung and it came back and he marked the spot and it swung, came back, marked the spot, marked the spot, marked the spot until it came to rest about 30 seconds later. And then he pointed out to the class, you can see all these marks that the pendulum never returned to its original place. How many of you believe in the law of the pendulum, he asked. And the whole class, they raised their hands and the teacher raised their hand and then the teacher started coming forward thinking that, that Ken was done. Um, but he said, no. He said, Mr. Brown, I'm, I'm not quite finished yet. And he went over to the, the side of the room and he had a table sitting there and he took a chair and he put it on, up on the table and then he took another chair and set it down on the ground. He said, Mr. Brown, would you please come over here? I want you to climb up and sit in this chair on the table. And I want you to sit with your back to the wall. It was a concrete wall. And then put your head against the concrete and just sit there and look straight across the room. So he did. And then Ken went over and he released the string and down from the ceiling, they had these, these steel uh, kind of girders, metal rafters that ran through the building, dropped this uh, um, uh, parachute cord. And he reached back behind the desk and he pulls out 100 pounds of weights and he ties them to the end of the parachute cord so that they're just inches off the ground. And then he takes the weights and he walks over to Mr. Brown and he brings the weights within an inch of his nose. And he says, Mr. Brown, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? <laughs> Beads of sweat began to break out on Mr. Brown's face, but he says, yes, I do. And he said, okay. And he released the weights and they made this big arc clear across nearly to the other wall. It comes swinging back and just as it reached the table, Mr. Brown bails out as fast as anything you ever saw. And Ken goes back to the front of the class and he goes, does Mr. Brown believe in the law of the pendulum? And the whole class went, no! And he goes, that's right. And what they thought they were learning about was the law of the pendulum. But the point that he was making to them was about belief. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Last week, we started into uh, this series called Steps. Uh, 
and talking about steps toward Jesus, steps to Jesus, steps to salvation, uh, that sort of thing. And last week, as our intro, the, the base we set was this whole idea of the bridge, that Jesus is the bridge between us and God, that our sin, our disobedience, uh, created this great chasm between us and God, something that we ourselves could not get across. And so God decided he was going to do something. He sent Jesus uh, to live among us, uh, to be one of us, to show us how to live, but most importantly, uh, to die in our place. And because he did that, the cross, you know, uh, represents this bridge then between us and God. And we talked about last week, I mentioned the fact that, that when you see a cross, uh, that you think you should think in terms of that should have been me on that cross. Don't picture Jesus, but picture first, should have been me on that cross. But when we see a cross, like the one that's on the steeple up here on the, on the bell tower of, of our building, uh, Jesus isn't on it. And I think that's an important distinction because what we recognize is not only did he die but he rose again. It's because he rose from the dead that we too can have life. And so when we think about this idea of the bridge, what we see now then is, is that uh, if you picture in your mind this cross is a bridge, you know, but, but truthfully it's Jesus who's the bridge, but this cross is a bridge. Many people, most people in the world today are still stuck on this side and God is on the other side and he's, he's got his arms open and he's saying, cross the bridge. Come to me. And so there's this, this choice that has to be made uh, to step forward and to cross the bridge. You know, a physical bridge, it can take us a lot of steps to get across. Uh, but when we, we think of, of crossing to Jesus, there's only a few steps. And so that's kind of where we're going over the next several weeks as we talk about steps is what are, what are the parts of that in, uh, in terms of me coming and, and accepting Jesus, me crossing that bridge. And, and as we talk about these separately, realize um, I've, I've placed them in kind of a, a logical, what I consider to be a logical order. And, and, it, and it's not just me, others have done this before me, but also realize um, that they don't always happen, you know, just one, one, this, then this, then this. Many times, some of them happen all at once, okay? Uh, or in certain kinds of order as we come to the realization. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to work our way through. And the first one today that we're going to take a look like is that the first step is to believe. Okay? The first step is, is to believe. And I'm going to use the word believe and faith and belief. I'm going to use those words kind of synonymously with one another as we talk about this uh, this morning. So we're going we're gonna to walk our way through then uh, a few ideas uh, when it comes to this whole idea of belief. Uh, it was Jesus himself who said these words as he was talking to Nicodemus one night in a verse that, that is probably one of the most memorized verses in the Bible, uh, John three sixteen, and, and we're going to do 17 as well. But Jesus said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, what, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't send Jesus to, to say, you're all going to hell. He sent Jesus to say, here's the way to come to the Father. Here's the bridge that you can cross. And belief 
is that first step. So we're gonna take a little deeper look at what it means to believe. And the first thought that came to my mind as I was thinking about that is this, belief in Jesus is more than an intellectual exercise, okay? Some people treat belief in Jesus just like that, as some intellectual exercise, and so they, they think about it, they, they talk about it, they debate it, um, and, and even maybe they don't discount the possibility that, that Jesus might have been who he says he is, but they don't really embrace it. They don't take it in completely. They become, to some degree, uh, practicing agnostics or, or, or atheists. And the difference there is an agnostic is someone who believes there's a God, but they don't think that we can really know him or we don't understand who he is. And so they just generally say, well, all, all religions believe there's a God and they're all kind of right. And that doesn't work at all. That's a sermon for another day. Uh, but it doesn't work. Uh, or atheists, where they just decide that, that there's, there's not a God. And there, or there's even people, you know, and I think, sadly, there's a lot of Christians who say, I believe in God, but in their life are, are really practicing atheists. They don't act like he really exists. They've done some intellectual exercise, and that's about it. So belief in Jesus is more than that. It's, it's a new paradigm. I, I thought about that, uh, that word paradigm. I hope we all know what a paradigm is. It, it's not 20 cents, okay, in, in case you were wondering. Uh, no, a paradigm is a pattern. It's a model. We're talking about more than just a new idea. We're talking about a new way of seeing and a new way of being. That's the kind of belief we're talking about here. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us this in James 2. He says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you pick up on that? He's saying that that kind of belief, he says, they believe that there's a God, they just don't follow him. They even believe that perhaps they're on the wrong side of things and they shudder, but it doesn't cause them to do anything or to do the right thing. And there are a lot of people, I think, that are that way. They, they think about the concept of God and, and they think, wow, what if that's true? And they shudder just a little bit, but then they, they just go on with what they're doing. The writer of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament these words. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And he's not talking about, again, some intellectual exercise here. He's talking about confidence. He's talking about having assurance. He's saying we believe in God and no other. We trust in what he has done and we trust in what he has promised to do. And he goes on then in verse six of that chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He doesn't say, believe that he exists and you're done, but believe that he exists, and if there is a God, it's, if there is a God, we gotta figure out who he is. That's where the agnostics fall short. Well, I think there might be a God, but who can know who he is? We'll find out. I mean, you gotta find out. 
And as we think about that, even from God's perspective, my mind always goes back to, to Romans where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Rome uh, and he, he talks about those who, who have turned their back on God and his wrath is coming their direction, he says. And he goes on and says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. When we look at the created world, Paul says it screams the existence of God. And we need to find out more about him. And fortunately for us, he's given us his word. He's turned the lights on so that we can see clearly who he is in the sending of his son. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. So we believe in God and his plan to send Jesus into our world to save us. It's not just thinking about Jesus and wondering if perhaps it might be true. It's accepting the full reality of Jesus as the truth. Some people think that you know, they, they don't believe in God and therefore, when they, they look at Jesus, uh, they say, well, he was, he was just a good teacher. And I've talked to people that, who believe that. Well, he was a guy who lived back then, uh, but he was just a good teacher. And whenever I meet people like that or I hear about that, I think those are people who have not read what Jesus says. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, he was just a good teacher. Well, if he's a good teacher, then read what he said because he doesn't allow for himself being just a good teacher. That's not what he says about himself. And so if you read him, you gotta come to the conclusion that, man, this guy must be the biggest liar that ever hit the planet because he says he is God. And he says he is the way to God. In fact, in John 14, where, where Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper, he says to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And at that point, I picture him going, ta-da. <laughs> You're looking at him. That's what he's trying to tell him. Because they were saying, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. That was the, the question that came right before that. He says, You're looking at him. So belief in Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise, it's knowing him and it's knowing God. Secondly, belief in Jesus is more than a hopeful fantasy. Uh, some think, people think that our belief in Jesus, when they see Christians, our belief in his resurrection and his future return is just some kind of hopeful fantasy. It's like believing in Santa Claus or believing in Cupid. <laughs> I just said that because Valentine's Day is around. Get, get that in there again. After all, when you think of someone rising from the dead, that's not like that's an everyday occurrence, right? You know? And so people say, well, when has that ever happened? You know, how can you believe that that happened way back then? This never happened again. That's kind of the point. You know, he's unique. As Jesus said, said in John 3, 16, you know, God sent his one and only you know, the King James, you say only begotten, but that's what it means. 
his specific one and only, different from all the rest, son. He is God incarnate. He is God the Father becoming the Son to walk among us. And so he's different than all the rest. And so he is the one then that could die in our place. He is the one that death could not hold on to. He is the one who rose from the dead. And because of that, we too then can rise. And what's important then as we look at this, as we come back to it, is the eyewitnesses to this reality, okay? I keep coming back to this other passage, but it's one, it's one of my favorites in the New Testament uh, just because of the, the impact of it. 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Uh, remember I said uh, last week, if you were here, I said, if you're gonna attack Christianity, you gotta attack it at the point of the resurrection. Now, don't worry about all these other things that people argue about, because if, if Jesus rising from the dead is not true, then the rest of it doesn't matter. And if it is true, it changes everything. And so this is, this is kind of what Paul is saying here. He says, it's of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was foretold by the prophets that this was gonna happen, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and they appeared to Cephas. That's another name for Peter. And then the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I always think, why did he say, why do you feel the need to say, most of whom are still living? I'll tell you why. He said, you can go ask them. Can you imagine? You know, a lot of people think, and we as believers sometimes think that, well, it was only a few people that the resurrected Jesus talked to. It was only a few people that saw him alive again. So how much credibility can we, can we give this thing? No, Paul says he showed up at one point to over 500 people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the reaction? Oh, I wish I'd have been there. Yeah? It would have been absolutely mind-blowing. And yet, so here are these people... They saw him die, and now here he is alive again. And Paul says, you can, go, you can go see him. Most of them are still alive. There's plenty of them to ask. And he goes on, then he appeared to James, his half-brother, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one born at the wrong time. You know, Paul, he didn't walk with the other disciples with Jesus physically in that way, but then when he was you know, heading to Damascus, he got blown out of the saddle by God. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, because that was his name before he was Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice he was hearing answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And it wasn't just that one time occurrence. We find later that Paul talks about the fact that he went into the desert for three years and was tutored by God. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you like to go to school that way? You know, your professor is God. <laughs> That'd be tough to take the exams and all that stuff. But at any rate, so we have this, this reality of the eyewitnesses. In fact, it's not just Paul who talks about that. The apostle John uh, in 1 John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's word of life. That's a, a phrase that John likes to use when he talks about Jesus, reminding us that he is God. In his gospel, he starts out, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he's really, he's talking about, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. And so he goes on uh, as he speaks here. He says, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He names him. We write this to make our joy complete. He's saying we are, we are eyewitnesses. We are ear witnesses. We are touch witnesses to this one who came and who died and who rose again from the dead. So belief is not a hopeful fantasy, but a hopeful reality. And yes, it still takes faith. Uh, when we think of things that have happened in the past, you know, it takes faith. It's much like the things we believe and we call factual today, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, you know, Charlemagne. I mean, go anywhere in history, all these people. Why do we really believe that they're actual characters? Well, because of the eyewitnesses. But we believe it's true what they did and that they existed and what they said about themselves and others and all that sort of thing. And so it's a historical faith that we bring when we think of Jesus and we understand what it is we believe. We rely upon the eyewitnesses in that regard. Of course, there is the testimony of what he does in our own lives. And we could spend all day here with all of you talking about what, what God has done in your life and the miracles you have seen and how he has changed you. And that's a testimony for another sermon. Third, belief in Jesus is believing that he is alive today and coming again. He didn't just live in the past and now he's gone. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and then desert us. He's alive and he is with us. Jesus himself tells us again in, in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. He says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna desert you. I'm not gonna leave you behind in that way. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. He's talking to the disciples. He's, he knows he's going to ascend. He goes, they're not gonna see me anymore, but you will. It's kind of interesting where he's going with this. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So yes, Jesus left us physically when he ascended into heaven, but we were given the Spirit of God in his place. Which, by the way, the Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of God, is the Holy Spirit. Okay, when we say that God is one, we talk about Father, Son, and Spirit. If they're one, it's the same thing. And so again, Jesus later in that discussion with his disciples at the Last Supper says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Whose words is the Spirit going to bring to us? Jesus' words. So the Spirit's going to speak what I tell him to speak. Makes sense because it's Jesus' Spirit, right? But he's saying he will speak my words to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will see from me what he will make known to you. So when you say that Jesus is living in us, when someone says that, occurs, that is a true statement, okay? When we say as the church that we are the body of Christ, that is a true statement. Jesus himself said, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. There's more than two or three of us here today. Jesus is here among us. He has not left us abandoned. And we read what's more, you know, the the disciples are, I love this, they're standing outside of Jerusalem and and Jesus brought them there and he's told them, you'll be my witnesses and and goes into that. And and as he's speaking to them, then we read further. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You picture these guys, you know, you're standing there, Jesus talking, and all of a sudden he starts to lift off the ground. First of all, I would have gone, step back, you know, whoa, you know, and, and he's taken up into the clouds and they're standing there with their hand, mouths hanging open, you know. They don't even notice a couple angels appear beside him, you know, men in white, and, and they say, why do you guys stand around here looking in the sky? He's coming back, you know. In other words, they're saying, go get busy, do what he's told you to do, and, and rely on the promise that just as he left, he's coming again. And that's what we believe, which brings us then to a fourth thing. Belief in Jesus then is an action word. It is a belief that changes our lives now. It is something we believe so strongly that we want to give our lives to him. As the apostle Paul says in Romans 12, one and two, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy. What's the mercy? That Jesus died for us and saved us and we can have life through him, okay? So he's saying, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We believe so strongly that we want to serve him. And again, at that point, He places his spirit in us and gives us the power to serve him. We don't do it just on our own accord. You know, we don't just decide I'm gonna work really hard or whatever, because even still, we struggle with that. And that's a sermon for another day. But the truth is that his spirit lives in us and works in us and through us. And so we want to give our lives to him. We want to be a living sacrifice. We believe so strongly that we want to serve him. That's why 
Uh, James says in, in James 2, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, he goes, this is just an example. He says, but in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He's saying if you believe something, it's gonna change what you do. It's gonna change how you live, how you think. It's gonna transform you. You're gonna have, as Paul said, a renewed mind. You're gonna test and approve what God's will is because, and you're gonna find it's good and pleasing and perfect. You're gonna do that because you believe. And so belief for us is an action word. We put into practice the things that we've learned from Jesus because we're all in. We belong to him. As I thought about the law of the pendulum, uh, I was thinking about when I was uh, first a youth pastor, I think it was probably uh, the first year I started in youth ministry back in the day. And uh, um, we did a thing, you know, I'd seen this before, and you, some of you maybe participated in a thing called a trust fall. You know, and you go to a ropes course and they do trust fall or they do it in different places. And so I decided, we were talking about belief, and I was decided, I was, I'm gonna do this trust fall thing. And so I put a chair uh, up in, on the stage in front of uh, my kids that were there, and I just picked someone at random, and there's this one gal sitting in the front, her name is Heather, uh, Heather Geary. In fact, it was kind of interesting, funny, which I didn't know at the time, but her, uh, Heather's uh, grandmother, uh, went to church here at Harrisburg Christian back in the day. And, and her mom, Cosette, was the one who painted the picture that sits down there they used to use in the back of the baptistry thing when she was 18 years old. And it's funny how things come full circle. So here's this granddaughter who's in my youth group. You know, and she was like a freshman or something like that. But at any rate, uh, so I said, Heather, come on up here. I want you to stand up on this chair and I want you to stand here and I want you to put your arms across like this and just stand as stiff as you can and just fall straight backwards and I'm gonna catch you. And I said, do you believe that I'm gonna catch you? And she goes, yeah. I said, you, you think I'm strong enough, capable to catch you? And she goes, yeah. I said, then go ahead and fall. And she goes, nope. <laughs> and I said, come on, Heather, you said you believe. She goes, I know, would you mean it? And she goes, yeah. I said, then fall. And she goes, no. So I stepped up and, and I, I put my hand up where her shoulder, I said, see, feel my hand, I said. Feel my hand and I'm gonna, I'm gonna move it now. I'm moving it right back, just, just a couple of feet. I won't even let you fall further than a couple of feet before I, I catch you. I said, do you believe that I'm gonna catch you? She goes, yeah. I go, then go ahead and fall. She goes, I can't. And I even put one hand on her shoulder and said, now, now you know that I'm here because I put my hand on her shoulder. I said, now, now go ahead and fall. She goes, no. And I never could get her to. And she came down off the chair, which, I, I kind of really wanted to do it, and, and then I realized it proved the point. Because isn't that how we are sometimes? You know, we get into something in life uh, that's hard. You know, something hits us and just knocks our feet out from under us. We begin to fall. Do we believe that Jesus is going to catch us? Do we believe that God has the power to hold us, even when everything else is falling and we think we're in free fall? 
you know, I've lost control of this. I didn't see this coming, whatever it is. Do we believe, you know, that he can catch us? Or it may not be that way. Maybe it's, a, it's another thing, and I think this is maybe more common to some of us, and that is that we start out and we say, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah I believe Jesus died. I, I believe that. Uh, but then in the apathy and malaise of everyday life, in all the things that, that crowd in on us, that, that try to pull us one direction or another, we forget about him. And, and we, don't, we don't even really think about, I wonder what Jesus would want me to do in any situation I face or even in everyday life. I don't talk to him anymore. Now, I become one of those who talk about Jesus but don't really know what Jesus said because I never read what he says. And I find myself then becoming this person who's a practicing atheist, really. But he calls us. He calls us to himself. He wants us to believe. He says, I can catch you. I can lead you. And at times, I'll pick you up and I'll carry you. But I can help you get through this hard thing called life. And that's the kind of belief that he wants us to have. Let's remember that Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, believes in him, will not perish, will not fall, but will have eternal life. Pray with me. Our Father, the gift of Jesus is, is beyond, people say beyond belief, but beyond comprehension, yet we believe. Lord, we might not understand everything in, in terms of how you've done it, but, but this one thing we know, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die in our place, that we can have life through him because he rose again. This we believe, Father. And I pray that through the power of your spirit, we would let that belief transform our lives, uh, that we would become more like this Jesus whom you sent. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.